church, you don't know what's going on, so props to you all. So, family, how's my team feeling out there? A little tired? A little exhausted? You're like, I ate way too much the last couple of days. You're having that sugar detox, maybe. You know, December 26th, uh, it's kind of a weird day, right? It's this ordinary day. It's, it's just a day. Nothing spectacular is happening today, besides this sermon, of course. <laughs> and the baptism was very spectacular, too. But it's weird, you know, thinking about December 26th, um, no one counts down to December 26th, right? Unless it's the day your family leaves, then you're like, please get here, (laughs) come on. (laughs) But it's kind of just this different day. There's not a specific song or hymn for December 26th, is there? All is well, okay, so there's one. So that that point didn't work, but it's fine. Should have done my research. But it's just like any other day. It's, it could be March 3rd or June 7th or October 11th. It's just a day. Many of, you, many of us may return to work tomorrow as if nothing just happened in the last 48 hours. So it's strange today. It's this awkward in-between time, and maybe you were even feeling a little bit down. You know, many of us are feeling exhausted because you've been running at what seems like a marathon for several weeks now. I still say we petition to have Thanksgiving and Christmas a little bit further apart, right? Like, why are they so close together? Like, we just saw our family. Why are we doing it again? (laughs) Let's spread it out. But think about all the things you've done the last several weeks. All the prepping, the meals, the shopping, the parties, the extra obligations and concerts and events, the cleaning, oh, the cleaning. And then Christmas Eve gets here, right? And you're, and you're getting everyone dressed to like picture perfect and you're juggling, okay, which service should I go to that allows um, me not to be hungry? Should I eat before? Should I eat after? And what about bedtimes? How are we going to handle that? And then Christmas morning happens, and it's kind of this blur, because again, you're tired, and you might have been up late the night before, and you've had all this sugar, and it's been building for several weeks, and if you're like me, I want every moment to be one of those core memories for my children, right? I'm like, I want them to remember this forever. And so you work tirelessly to make it all come together on December 25th, this beautiful package with a big bow on top. We've been feeling it for days and weeks. It's almost too much to contain for one day. And then December 26th happens. And Monday is coming. So what do we do with today? Or tomorrow? Or nine days from now? Or three months from now? Well, Mary and Joseph actually have a lot to teach us about this if we look in the details. Today's reading is from Luke 2, 21 through 24, and then 39 through 40. I'm going to start with just verses 21 through 24 right now. After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. 
When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be thinking, um, so uh, what were we supposed to gather from that scripture, Reagan? <laughs> it's kind of uneventful. Might be a little boring. So did, did I miss something? I picked these verses because there's something that kind of connects me to Mary and Joseph that I think connects us all to the Holy Family and therefore connects us to Christ. So I want us to kind of look at this scripture, revisit it. So before Mary and Joseph and Jesus could return back to Nazareth, they had a few things to do. They had a few things to check off their list, I suppose. Now Jesus was Jewish and his parents were Jewish and they upheld all the customs and followed the law and rules just like everyone else. And so there was a particular order and a way of doing things. Because while Jesus was God, he was also human. He was a Jewish boy that needed to follow all the customs, which in the grand scheme of things seem minor and maybe insignificant, but there's something about Jesus doing the same sort of things like every other baby at that time that I find comforting, reassuring, and something that connects us to Christ. And for Mary and Joseph, this, they weren't things to just check up on a list. They took great joy. It's their firstborn son. And I kind of love that Mary didn't say, you know, like, well, you know, he's God. He doesn't really have to do all those things, right? I don't know if you heard, but he gets a pass. <laughs> they still did all the things like everyone else did. And as we read on, we see after the, we read that there's this purification, and so uh, Mary would have been cer ceremonial unclean for seven days. So on the eighth day, he was circumcised like all Jewish boys. But then she needed to be purified for an additional 33 days before coming back to the temple to dedicate the baby. Now, all Jewish firstborn babies were presented and given their, their name in the temple. So this was a significant event. Most of us may know the pressure of naming a child. It's a big deal to name a child. There's a lot of pressure. Many people keep the name a secret and for good reason because I don't know if you've um, heard some people are like, oh, we're gonna name the baby, blah, blah, blah. And, and someone's like, oh, isn't that a famous criminal's name? And you're like, just had all that monogrammed, so I guess there's no turning back now. <laughs> but um, last week we looked at the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth and how they presented John the Baptist and the declaration of his name was really significant and different. Most boys were named after their father. That's why people are like, are you sure his name is John? And Zachariah said, no, his name is John. Like John, Jesus was not given his name by his parents, but by God through way of the angel Gabriel. 
which if Gabriel could visit my husband soon and tell them the name of this child, at least as long as it's the three that I want, that would be great. <laughs> but saying the name of this child was this, this dedication to God. In one commentary I read, it was a time where parents de- kind of declare their heritage or, or the character of God. And so in this moment, when they say the name Jesus, which means savior and deliverer and salvation, it's a cause of celebration. Can you imagine the pride that Mary and Joseph felt, their joy that they had? I remember the the joy I had announcing the two names of, of my children. Your heart just soars. And if we were to read on a little bit more, there's this beautiful celebration of this man, Simeon, and this prophet named Anna that celebrate Jesus. They recognize who Jesus is, that this is the Messiah, We're not going to read that today, but it's worth reading later today if you have time. And so I think, okay, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? So let's read verse 39 through 40. When they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Amen. You think, wait, that, that's it? <laughs> sure. Did I miss something? Because I feel like there's this momentum building. I mean, where, where's the party in Jerusalem? Where's all those festivals that people had for like days and weeks? Why? Why were there not parades? Why was the temple not bursting at the seams? Where's the part of the welcome home parade in Nazareth? Where is it? What did Mary and Joseph return to? I thought about it, and I made a list. Feeding, changing, burping, putting baby down to sleep, cleaning, cooking. Wow. That sounds fun. That sounds holy. (laughs) And I think, I'm like, huh. They kind of return to this mundane kind of life. They went home and they raised God, but yes, they raised a boy. They were raising a boy like everyone else. And we all remember kind of in the beginning, it is just the same thing over and over again with a baby. And so again, I relate to this holy family because I look at my life and I made a list as well. All right, get up, get kids breakfast, make lunches, get kids ready, get ready myself, take kids to school, go to work, pick up kids, make dinner, bath for kids, put kids to bed, study Bible and ancient Greek and Hebrew for two hours, pass out looking at my phone while TV is on. It's a casual, casual flex. I don't, I don't read the scriptures for two hours every night. But I, I looked at my list, and I thought about their list, and a big chunk of my day is repeated. And I re- feel really connected to the Holy Family because we can understand returning to something. Mary and Joseph, no doubt, had this incredibly life-transforming experience with Christ's birth. I mean, think about everything that hadn't been happening Starting from the beginning when the angels appear to both Mary and Joseph, and then you've got Zachariah and Elizabeth, 
and you've got shepherds and wise men and and you have your child that's born but then they returned to their hometown and lived essentially like everyone else and for us we just celebrated big here on Christmas Eve we've been building for weeks and with Advent and we celebrated Christmas yesterday and now it's December 26th and Monday is coming we too return to our Nazareth. And as I thought about this, and I realized, oh, it's over again, I got a little down, but only for a moment. During Advent, Chris, uh, Stephanie, and I taught an Advent class on the book called Almost Christmas. It's written by four different Methodist pastors. And it's based on a famous sermon that John Wesley gave at St. Mary's Church to his fellow Oxford University colleagues on July 25th, 1741, and was called the Almost Christian. And in this sermon, he described and talked about a person who had all the outward appearances of godliness, but actually wasn't quite there, an almost Christian. Wesley encouraged people and preached a message to to push them to give more to God, to live more fully for God. He wanted people to be an altogether Christian. An altogether Christian is one that loves God fully, fully loves others, especially those that have wronged them, that trust and have confidence in God to the level that they fully offer themselves of mind, body, and spirit. It's a tall order. And in our study, we looked at what it meant to have altogether hope, love, peace, and joy. And some of us felt like, as we read and we discussed, that I don't know if I've actually had the altogether hope, joy, love, peace. And it was good to be in a class together and to wrestle with that and discuss. Being part of a small group or a class or Sunday school is a wonderful place to grow, just a shameful, a shameless plug for discipleship. But there's one particular part from the joy chapter that I haven't been able to get out of my head. And it's changed the way I look at the, uh, at the part of the story in my own life, especially today, December 26th. And this is what it said. This joy is timeless. I am tempted to say that joy lives in the present, but the experience of joy seems almost other when talking about a timeline. Joy is timeless. And then he goes on to quote someone else. To define joy as a present tense is to keep it fastened to time. And that doesn't feel completely right. It might be true to say that joy is a flash of eternity that illuminates time. For me, it puts things in perspective. The joyful celebration of God coming to earth as a baby is not something that we just celebrate and then pack away until next year. Joy is this deep feeling that is with us no matter what. It may not be the strongest force or the thing that we always feel the most, but it is something that can remain. It can be timeless. Even a small glimmer or a faint pulse of joy can sustain us and carry us and fill us. Joy has power. Joy has the ability, even in small doses, to combat whatever is thrown our way. And it's a beautiful beautiful and wonderful gift and it is a gift in this book almost christmas it talks about how joy isn't necessarily something we achieve but
but something we receive. This is why sometimes in the holiday season when we plan all the things, we don't really have that lasting joy because we're trying to achieve something. We can't force joy or manipulate it. It's simply something we receive. And as I go back through the whole story of the birth of Christ, I see Mary receive news. She receives that joy. Joseph receives. Zechariah and Elizabeth receive. The shepherds receive. You know, Mary and Joseph did not leave their joy at the temple or in Jerusalem or in Bethlehem. They brought their joy home with them. They brought their joy home with them. Because Christ is our joy. So we do not need to pack away our joy in the coming days or weeks or months. No judgment for how long it takes for you to undecorate your house. See, the best part of this entire story is that we receive it and then Christ is this living presence with us. Christ is with us. Christ is with us 365 days a year. The Christmas season does not have ownership of joy in the story of Christ. We have it with us. Christ is with us when we wake up, make our kids lunches, sit in a meeting, make an Excel spreadsheet at work, change a diaper, unload the dishwasher, get gas in the car, brush our teeth. We can find joy in the mundane life. And when I remember that, Monday doesn't seem so bad. December 26th ain't too shabby. Yes, Monday is coming, but the joy of Christ is already there. Amen.